Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice and the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And I'm the other, Corwin Heller. And we're talking about stuff going on in the world today. It's the non-stats episode of the sports podcast, so we're talking about uh, loose concepts, headlines, shit that's interesting that's going on in the sports world of the sports that we watch uh, so since baseball is not yet fully wrapped with the regular season and we don't want to jump the gun on anything, we're going to kind of avoid most baseball for today um, so that we don't have things that we say be weirdly meaningless 36 hours after this podcast comes out. So expect a lot of football talk. And on that vein, Corwin, are you ready to go? Uh, nah. Neat. I am. I just want to see what you'd say. Uh, it was neat. Uh, I, I expect so little. Um, if I don't have you, so real quick, it is it is Wednesday. Um, I do. <laughs> thanks. September twenty third. It's just about seven p.m. The Stanley Cup Final Game Three is on tonight in about an hour. So the results of that game will be known to those listening as this comes out tomorrow. Uh, Corwin, do you have any attention on watching it tonight? Uh, no, I'm tired. I'm probably going to go to bed after we record. Nice. Yeah. It's a uh, good thing I host a sports podcast because I watch them all, folks. Yeah, yeah, we keep very on top of things. Um, I missed game one and then I watched like part of game two and, but I was sleepy and I didn't finish it. Um, and I feel like that's going to happen. I'm going to put it on today. I don't have high hopes. I'm going to finish it. Um, but yeah, Stars Lightning. That's fucking weird. Um, I forget if we talked about the fact that those are the teams in it already. But uh, but hey, go Lightning. Uh, yeah, no. Go, uh, go Stars. It is certainly uh, a, an old school rivalry from teams that I'm not confident I've ever seen play each other. Um, <laughs> any, anyway. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about some football. Do you want to start with, uh, with our discussion about um, number one versus number two pick in the 2016 overall draft, or do you want to start with injuries? Uh, I think it was 2017, but that would be a fun place to start, and then we'll finish on a low note. Cool. Then um, tell me about what you've got here. Vis a vis the the Rams and the Eagles. Vis a vis. So basically, it was an article that was posted on The Athletic. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up in front of me because I forgot to bring it up. Here we go. Nope, that was a different one. It was a picture of Carson Wentz. Uh, Mike Sando wrote it, published it on the 21st of September. If you want to go read it for yourself. Um, Basically, it was, you know, like, hey, let's let's talk about this quote-unquote myth that Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Jared Goff. And I, you know, really started thinking on that because, wow, I really love Jared Goff going into the draft. He was my QB1. He was a guy I really loved uh, throughout the process and I was a big fan of. And then he got to L.A., or I guess I guess it was. It was the first year in L.A. It was when they moved and he got drafted, right? It, I think uh, so. Yes, yeah, because the whole thing is like they're moving to California, so why not draft the California kid? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I remember that year of Hard Knocks. That was a good year. 
Uh, yeah, either way, golf discovered that the sun <laughs> rises in the east and sets in the west every day. Oh, uh, that was the first major red flag, and boy, was it a doozy. Um, but he, short story short, he was not very good and hasn't been the spectacular QB one first overall pick that we all expected him to be. Uh, that being said, he has Sean McVay as his coach. He has performed admirably. Ad, wow, I'm just not going to tell you. No, admirably, uh, very he, well. he is the commander of a Navy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but Sean McVay was his coach. He kind of built this system around Goff's talents. He's executed it well. But that whole stereotype, that whole first impression still sits with everyone, and everyone still thinks of Jared Goff as, oh, that bust who happens to play for a offensive guru. And that's how he's able to perform. Uh, meanwhile, Carson Wentz, Mr. Uh, I don't know how you would describe him, but, you know, small town kid. takes North his Dakota, team, right? Puts a, yeah, South Dakota. North Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. Dakota. It should only be one state. For some reason, it's two. Yeah, for real. Um, puts up MVP numbers, but at the same time is wildly inconsistent often injured and just it leaves us at this point where we have to look back and kind of clear our memories from what our first impressions of both of these guys were and reevaluate what's going on. Um, so Josh, what are your thoughts on the matter before we dig into this? Um, I, I guess in my mind, Jared Goff is, Oh man, how would I put Jared Goff? I don't think he's bad. I I don't think he's lived up to the first overall pick. Um, but I don't think he's bad. Um, he I think is like a shinier Alex Smith. Um, maybe a little bit more headroom on the arm side of things. And Carson Wentz, I've always viewed as what will eventually be um a lesser 30 for 30. What happened? What if with Carson Wentz, where what if he never had all the injury stuff and like actually played in the playoffs and you know all that kind of shit? His he's 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 shown so much potential and promise and 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 ability, and then has been hampered. Like injuries, injuries have been the biggest story. I'm not going to say biggest factor just because I don't follow the Eagles so strictly, but it's definitely been the biggest story and talking point around Carson Wentz for his entire career at this point. And by the way, they must have been drafted in 2016 because Carson Wentz played 16 games in 2016 and Jared Goff played 16 games in 20, 27 games, seven games in 2016. So they definitely were drafted in 2016. Wow. Look at you, Josh, with the actual answers. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Josh, can you tell me who? Uh, wow. Wow. Now what? that's a first round draft right there. Holy shit. What a good year. Tell me. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Jalen Ramsey, Ronnie Stanley, DeForest Buckner, Jack Conklin. That's the top eight. You got some, you know, Leonard Floyd, Eli Apple, Vernon Hargrave, Sheldon Rankins in there. Then you got Laramie Tunsil. Um, let's see. A lot of fairly good players in here. Jets drafted Darren Lee. Nice. Which nice. worked out perfectly for whoever he got traded to. 
The Chiefs? Uh, I thought it was uh, the Saints that I want to say he's playing for. Demario no, Davis right. got, got went to the yeah. Saints. All those Jets linebackers. Oh, yeah, we actually should have kept Demario Davis. That's a nightmare that I'll never forget. Um, but yeah, that's that. Jalen Smith, Chris Jones, Xavier Howard at the top of the second round. Derrick Henry, Michael Thomas. Pretty damn good draft. Yannick Nagakwe in the third. Yeah, they, the Falcons even drafted Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Anyway. Wow. All right, here's something to throw at you. Is Dak Prescott, who was drafted in the fourth round that year, the best quarterback of them all? So who are our quarterbacks? Hold on. Can I sort by position? I can. can. Damn, Tyreek Hill was in this draft, too. No, he wasn't. Shut up. Yes, he was. He went in the fifth round. All right, so our quarterbacks taken were Paxton Lynch, the god, Christian Hackenberg, Jakey Brissett, um, Cody Kessler, Connor Cook, so many hard K sounds, um, Dak Prescott, Cardale Jones. I don't even remember him playing. Kevin Hogan, Nate Sudfeld, Jake Ruddock, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, and Brandon Doty. So I think it's... I think it's pretty safe to say it's Dak Prescott. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... Well, I'll take that back or hold, bite my tongue before I even say it. There is an argument to be had, sure. Um, Potential-wise, I think Wentz could still be number one. Maybe. Uh, I think potential-wise, Jared, potential-wise, Jared Goff could even be above Dak Prescott. But I don't think it's much of a question that Dak Prescott is currently the best quarterback of the bunch yeah if you talk about what they've actually done in the four or five seasons since the draft it's far and away Dak Prescott and I mean and that's, and that's with golf going to the Super Bowl one year and so. you know Carson Wentz putting up MVP numbers before getting injured and his team winning the Super Bowl outside of that short stretch I think it's Prescott all the way yeah I don't I don't think it's particularly close either Especially with with him being a fourth round pick and having that difference of context uh, well, around surrounding his seasons. Here's the thing: I don't necessarily like including that context in those kind of decisions because it does provide bias for the outcome and bias for your opinion. If you say, "Is Gardner Minshew a franchise quarterback for the Jaguars?" You could argue yes. You could argue no. You could ask, is Gardner Minshew a great quarterback for being a sixth, seventh round pick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's fantastic for that. But that doesn't necessarily answer the question for the Jaguars when it comes to do they hold on to him? So I think when you talk about, you know, the abilities of a quarterback, sure, there are conversations you can have where that, you know, draft capital context is important. But if you're, you know, not including that cost in your evaluation and it's just pure talent, I don't think you should have that bias in there or include that context because it will incur that bias. All right, that's fair. I I, I do think it matters on occasion when talking about team makeup because the, the oh, way we well, see a lot of at least this is the way I think I see, you know, you're better with these things. So feel free to tell me I'm wrong. 
Um, I love doing a lot. A lot of teams that draft like first overall, top top five in the draft quarterbacks, I think are are in a current methodology trying to have the quarterback be one of the more final picks so that they are coming into a more more ready team um especially since quarterback is the most expensive position um so you have good teams like the jets that thought for whatever reason they were competitive um they've thought it every season for the last three years and they haven't been um and were saving their money so that they could they could you know draft a quarterback high be prepared to pay him and be prepared to pay the players around him um so if you're coming in on a first round pick expecting expecting a more built team to be there because the funds aren't being allocated to a you know non rookie tenured quarterback and are extend instead being allocated to O linemen, wide receivers, a better defense, whatever. Um, it seems pretty different than when a fourth round quarterback comes in who's likely expecting to just be a chart holder or whatever, and then ends up actually meaning that there's a real I don't want to say real quarterback, uh, a an expensive quarterback um, actually at the helm because the team didn't see it as a position of need and didn't construct their team around that. But it also depends. I mean, in, again, I, I wouldn't blanket that methodology because if you look at the Cowboys, uh, they were way more ready for a rookie quarterback than the Jets were. And if you look at the Jets, they were nowhere near ready to have a rookie quarterback. Um, or if they were, Earlier, if they think they did. Oh my God, what happened? Um, so, anyway, that's my tangent. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with where you're coming from. Where, you know, teams that use the quarterback piece as a foundational piece, like uh, the Texans. Yeah, they had DeAndre Hopkins there. They have JJ Watt. They have cornerstone pieces, but they are still building around Deshaun Watson. Whereas you have a team like the Chiefs, where by all means, they had a good team. They had a competitive team. They had a fairly complete team. And they just needed a quarterback to finish the puzzle or to be the part that puts them over the edge. And... Yes, they have their differences, obviously, when it comes to allocation of funds and things like that. And there's uh, much different, you know, there are much different ways to build a team. God, that is just so poor grammatically. Um, And both can work well. Obviously, if you have a worse overall team, you have a higher chance of actually getting that top player if you have a complete team you're not as likely to get a you know impact rookie quarterback but they would be able to do more and develop better with that complete team around them and a support system that will allow them to grow and not put all the pressure on them like you see with so many quarterbacks that are you know thrown into situations where they're the only hope and you have to perform because otherwise we have nothing and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think Jared Goff went into a situation where yes, they had Todd Gurley there, but 
I mean, as much as I love Jeff Fisher as a person, as a coach, he is bad in just about every discernible way. Um, and meanwhile, Carson Wentz went into a situation where they had fairly good players on that team that, and, you know, they just had a really just unlucky season the year before and just everything went wrong and allowed them to pick so high. So there's a lot of things that went wrong and went right for both of these teams. But at the end of the day, when looking at their team makeup now, I think I could honestly, honestly, if you asked me off the top of my head before reading this article and before really digging into the rosters and the cap breakdown of both of these teams, I would have said, oh, the Eagles, hands down, just with the money that the Rams are throwing around, there's no way they'd be able to develop a team or any of that. Like it would just be chaos trying to build that team. But looking at it and looking at how they broke it down, I I do agree that the Rams are probably in a better situation overall than the Eagles are right now because, well, yeah, Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cup, Woods all are making a lot of money. They have a lot of guys that are on rookie deals where they've drafted very well and have been able to build a nearly complete team with young players they're in a pretty good spot moving forward. All right. I, I am ready to continue this conversation after we both took lengthy tangents about quarterbacks and drafting. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do want to make a brief baseball interjection of a tweet I just saw that I, ha- I have to just share. Um, there are five days left in the regular season, and it is still mathematically possible for the Detroit Tigers to either make the playoffs or get the number two overall pick. Really? So they can't get the first overall pick. Who holds that? Who's locked that down? Um, the Padres? Yeah, it's the Padres. Oh, they're, they, they, they ain't doing so. They, they've somehow been losing more games than are played in the season. I don't know how they did that. Uh, but how wild is that to be that far, that close to the playoffs and that close to sucking so bad you had the second worst season in baseball man that's difficult yeah that's hard to do i love it because that's fucking hilarious but man that's that's fucking tough anyway but all right i'm i'm ready i'm 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 ready to go back to football now sure what do you want to talk about Oh, uh, are you going to keep telling me about the uh, the Rams versus the Eagles? Uh, yeah, we could keep going into it. You have anything you want to add after I I talked for way longer than I ever usually do? <laughs> yeah, really. This is like two episodes worth of speaking for you. Um, not really. I I'm interested in in, in hearing about this. Um, only because in my mind, well, that's the other thing is I really, I I know I I feel anyway. Uh, I know more about the Rams' current roster makeup because they are perpetually in the news um, mm-hmm. for somehow constantly signing more players that cost a lot of money. And where does that money come from? Nobody knows. Um, uh, then I really do hear about the Eagles. So in my mind, because those stories are always like, how on earth are the Rams still doing this? I picture the Eagles just being better by default. Um, but I don't actually know anything truly about their makeup. So I'm, yeah, I'm just interested in hearing about it. 
Um, so basically, it's hard because I don't want to just fucking break down their entire team. Uh, for players that are making more than $10 million a year, the Rams have seven. The Eagles have nine. For players making more than eight million dollars a year, you know what? No, this is a this is a this is a better breakdown. Players who make more than four million dollars a year, which is a, a decent chunk, but nothing spectacular. The Rams have two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven. Meanwhile, the Eagles have fifteen. And these don't seem like massive differences, but the, it adds up so quickly where, you know, rookie wage scales are so astronomically suppressed compared to market value and what it adds to your your team. Um, the Rams, you know, in all honesty, even without all of these first round picks that they've traded away in just a handful of trades, they still are drafting better than the Eagles who have had all of their first round picks. Um, so current starters or current status for draft picks from 2017 to 2020 starters, the Eagles have drafted six players that are currently starting for them. The Rams have drafted eight, even being without multiple, multiple top draft picks. Key backups. The Eagles have drafted two. The Rams have drafted eight. Wow. Death players, the Eagles have drafted nine. The Rams have drafted eight. Are you fucking... God damn. Yeah. Practice squad players, uh, Eagles have one. The Rams have one. Uh, On their reserve list, so injured reserve, the Eagles have two players. The Rams have three. And players that were cut by both teams... The Eagles have eight, and the Rams have eight. So the Rams have drafted significantly more players. They've also have significantly more players that are on their team uh, and are contributing players. So even though you know they trade for guys like Jalen Ramsey, they trade for guys like Yannick Ngakwe. They trade for guys like Andrew Whitworth or Robert Woods or any of these other key marquee players that are the headliners for their team. Their depth pieces, the foundational pieces of their team, are all homegrown, which means suppressed wage scales, which means discounts on extensions, which means that even though these top players, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, um, you know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, all of them are making more than $15 million a year. Um, they could afford it. And it seems crazy that they're able to do this to people who are extremely familiar with their own cap situations, or at least most familiar with their own cap situations, and do not understand how this money could just essentially be printed when the Rams are, you know, it's always uh, reported on how they're in cap hell, which by all means, they are in a wild situation, and I do not envy their accountants. Uh, their ability to draft is putting them in a situation where they can do this and succeed. 
And and if there's anyone who who, who listens to this, it's usually more of um, a baseball person than a football person. And you don't understand. To to me, the the thing, and I I think not even to me this the, it's the obvious thing, but how many players they have that they drafted that are on um that are that are the backups that's that are good enough to be the backups is fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. And I I mean. It's sports. We're all used to seeing our, our, you know, players get injured and you have to turn up the backup. And if I can make a baseball comp, you know, there's a huge difference between having um, some, you know, rook who's on like, you know, arb year three or you know, you know, year three of of control about to enter his first real arb year, sitting on your bench to play first base while you, you know, and he's going to get first base reps while your starters hurt. You know, like that shit happens. It is what it is. You don't expect too much. If he plays well, that's awesome. If he doesn't, he's cheap. He's young. He's learning. Blah 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 blah. It's a huge difference between that and having Albert Pujols be on your bench uh, with Jared Walsh taking all your reps at first base because Albert Pujols is bad, old, and expensive. And that happens in football too. But it's a way bigger deal because injuries are way more common, and everyone's getting paid. Like that rosters are cap. huge, and the salary cap. So like it, you can't have that many. And not that and, you know, Albert Pujols gets paid a fortune, so it is obviously different. You can't have more than one Albert Pujols really on any given team at any given time. Albert Pujols is making twenty nine million dollars this year, which I did not realize. And oh my god, um, but you know, having having imagine an entire AAA team with nobody that you had signed to a pro contract like that that would be getting paid pro money if they were paying playing up in the bigs or nobody that was you know had signed a any a contract of any everyone was a draft pick of your favorite baseball team everybody which does not happen on minor league teams like everyone's coming from somewhere some guys are drafted some aren't like having that be i mean eight players i know it doesn't sound like a lot but like eight reliable backups 16 total uh reliable dudes that can that can fill in for what is eventually going to be an injury or even just a a relief player for you know third down after you've been in uh you're on your your third fourth set of downs for a guy that just usually likes to be out there that's a big fucking deal like that's huge from one a amazing talent of draft uh of scouting because there's drafting like that's ridiculous but also as corwin's been saying i mean having to not have to pay those dudes anything meaningful especially because none of them are first round picks or at least high first round picks it sounds like these are all guys who are going to be drafted late in the first or in the second and then therefore have a significantly lower wage scale is is just huge i mean it's just huge Mm -hmm. so to summarize this or you know an attempt to summarize this which of these two teams do you think has the best chance to win a super bowl the fastest the soonest in the immediate future. Oh, um, that's the thing is, is like, I'm obviously preparing for you to tell me it's, it's the Rams. And I know that the Rams based on the short part of this conversation we've had so far, probably are. I still want to say the Eagles. I still do. Okay. And you, you know why? No, but the I NFC- tell me. The NFC East sucks. That's true. Like their road to make the playoffs is so comically easier than the Rams is. And I know that it's a little bit unfair to pick as my reason based on the 
information we're using to frame this conversation. But like, you know, the Rams have um, a significantly improving Cardinals team, the the Seahawks and the Niners, whereas the uh, the Eagles have the Giants who suck, Dallas who is a mystery, and Washington who's not good yet, but maybe eventually. And that's, man, that's just such an easier way to get yourself in. Yeah, no, it, it's hard to it's hard to debate that. You know, you, that's a very fair point. Um, I'm assuming what, what what's your take on it? Give me a, a take on it that you had pre doing all this and post doing all this. I really oh pre I would have said the Eagles, no question. Um, after reading it, I would have said the Rams, and I probably still would, just because I think their team makeup is better suited for that. And it's so hard to not look at the Eagles roster and look at it without taking injuries into effect with just how perpetual that seems to be. Um, On a neutral field, I think the Rams would win seven times out of 10. Um, I think that also is a lot on Sean McVay and the fact that he is their coach, and that means a lot. Uh, but you do make a really great point about the fact that one team plays in the NFC East, one plays in the NFC West, and God, those are so significant. Whew. Yeah. So, final answer, I'll probably stick with the Rams because wild shit happens all the time. But, uh Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where where are we next? What 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 next nugget of info do you have for me on this? I I I I continue to be very interested in this. Oh, um that's what I got, Josh. That's what I got. Well, it's not enough, man. I I need more. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I you I wanna, just You want to look into some numbers. stats real quick? You want to look up the Eagles? I'll look up the Rams. Um, well, comparison shopping. Sure, I have I have Goff and Wentz up, but I guess we moved past them already. I mean, if we, we want to move back to that, I can move back oh, to that. Hold on, I'm actually, real thing. I did also pull up the Rams' um cap, and I want to read this out because I also want to talk about how caps work. Um, I, I have to look that up as well. So, so uh, I have it up on Spot Track. Um, they they have a huge long page, and at the bottom, it's just like a big overview, which is nice. So the 2020 NFL cap is $198.2 million. One second, one second. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, in 2019, the Rams rolled over $5.6, $5.7 million of cap. So that gave them a total adjusted salary cap of $203.8 million. So that's, that's, that seems like a lot, I guess. Um, the value of their contracts somehow is only $155 million, which... I know it's super high. It really feels like it's low, just based on all the signings the Rams constantly have. Um, they have under a million dollars on injured reserve. They have two point six million dollars on reserve, not football injury. They have thirty four million dollars of dead money, which is nuts. And then they have two point two million dollars on their practice squad for a total of one hundred ninety. Five million dollars, 
which gives them about $9 million left in cap space, which, oh my God, like that is so weird to look at. That's way more than I was expecting. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I, sh- shit. So, the biggest thing for me here is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at spot track here. I'm looking at over the cap. Over the cap has cap space at about seven point seven million. Um, man, it's just crazy how this team is built. Um, cobbled together is more like it. Yeah, it's it's for Ooh. this year. It's all not that bad because Jalen Ramsey doesn't seem to have a massive cap hit this year. Um, there's only two players over ten million dollars against the cap for 2020. Yeah, because they keep converting a lot of it to signing bonus, All right? right which just converts it to next year's cap. But even then, there's not a whole lot going on there. So, so this is just wild to me because we're talking about the Eagles. I pulled up the Eagles salary cap as well. So, the Eagles again, the NFL salary cap for 2020 is 198.2. So they have that. They also rolled over just under $24 million from 2019. So the Eagles came, came into the season with $222 million of cap space. Mm-hmm. The, their contracts, all contracts, um, going against the cap is lower than the Rams. Higher, higher than the Rams. So the Rams contracts again $155 million against the cap. The Eagles, $164 million. Oof. They have $9 million more going against their salary cap um, from, 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 from these all-contracted players than, than the Rams do, which is nuts. And I think that probably is a, the most illustrative point we could possibly bring up from the... Um, oh my god! The thing that you told me about about how many players that the Rams had managed to draft and then have as be good, reliable backups because the Eagles are probably paying for a ton of depth, whereas the Rams just aren't. They have a ten point two million in injured reserve money. The Eagles do. Uh, Eagles have eight million in reserve pup money. They have fifty thousand dollars in reserve exempt money. Um, seventeen point five in dead money, and then two point four in practice squad money. And then overall, have spent against the cap two hundred two point seven million dollars, which outdoes the Rams by like eight million bucks. Granted, the Eagles still have nineteen million in cap space, but like, wow, that is just so not my mental picture of 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 these two teams. Uh, do you want to uh, hear some absolute uh, wild shit? Uh, so. Yeah. Current 2021 total cap liabilities for the Rams. So this is when Jalen Ramsey's contract really kicks in. He bumps up to $22 million uh, in cap hit. They only had two players over $10 million this past year. Next year, they're going to have six. Robert Woods, Andrew Whitworth, Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Jared Goff. That is it currently. Andrew Whitworth and Michael Brockers, who's going to be just under 10 at 9.8. They could cut them and get themselves some serious uh, space there. But as of right now, their cap 
liability for next year is $190 million. The Eagles, on the other hand, are going to have... Hold on. I need time to count. No. No way. They're going to have 12 players with over $10 million in cap liability. No way. And they're going to have $259 million in cap liability. Oh, my God. Carson Wentz is over doubling his cap percentage from this year to next year. This year, let's see, what is he making? He's making $18.6 million. In 2021, his cap hit is going to be 35. Jesus Christ. Which still, that's not a crazy amount for a quarterback. I know Ben Roethlisberger is going to be at like 22% next year. His cap hit is going to be like $41 million. No, as Granted, a percent, it'll be actually lower than do. Jared Goff's is, but yeah. They, they... Corwin? I think we lost you. Falling off the desk, and uh, I forgot I was tethered to it. So, yeah, that was fun. All good. But either way, that wow. that is truly cap hell for next year. Uh, can we find like total cap? Can we do that for all teams? What do you mean total cap? One, like just uh, total cap liabilities. Total cap. Here we go. Oh, they're not even the worst. Who's the worst? They're not even the worst. The New Orleans Saints. <laughs> oh my God! What are the, what's their problem? Oh my God! Their total cap liability is two hundred and sixty-four million dollars for next year. Oh, and there's no way they're rolling over enough money to make up for that difference. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They also have twelve players over ten million dollars. But oh my God, they have they have some fat to trim next year. Oh my, Taysom Hill is going to be their fifth highest cap hit next year. Their third string quarterback slash wide receiver slash gunner. Yeah. Who the um, fuck allowed them to sign him to that contract? Sean Payton loves the white boys, I oh guess. Oh my god. Um man, this is wild. So the so the Chargers have two hundred and twenty two million dollars in cap space. Uh, I don't yeah. even understand sixty three against the cap next year. How the fuck is that possible? Because they have four players signed to through signed to contract through next year. Uh, no, they have more than four. That's that's what that's what SpotTrack says. Signed four players. Four players are signed to contracts. Where where are you looking at that? Because I see a bunch of players here. Well, those might be players that that they are owed money to, but aren't like on a secondary contract. Here, let me send you. The the I, I'm just looking at a very general link that shows um, 2021 active. cap space, and in 2021, oh, like what's wild oh. to me, and I guess this also makes sense because it's Jacksonville. Like they don't have any players. Um, I I guess well that I don't I, now I don't know how to read this because Jacksonville no, they they, only- they have a lot more than that. They have they have a lot more than just those guys expiring. 
Uh, I, I they don't know. Got, they have a lot of contracts that are expiring in 2021. You know, Melvin Ingram, Denzel Perryman, Tyrod Taylor, Hunter Henry, Mike Pouncey, Forrest Lamp, Dan Heaney, Dan Feeney, Desmond King. They do have a good number that are expiring, but they, they have a large amount of players still signed. I don't know. How, I, I don't think I know how the NFL works with money. Does it? Signed. Signed contracts. Yeah, so I see where you're seeing that now. It doesn't make any sense. Because I was going to say, well, maybe it's, you know, like a bunch of rookies and then every, you know, then they only have four players on a second contracts. But that does not explain the Jacksonville Jaguars who have 42 players signed. Because I have to imagine most of the people who would be on the Jaguars are like rookies, either on people either on their rookie contracts that were drafted by the Jaguars or who were traded to the Jaguars and I, I don't know where the money would be being spent on the Jags, which translates to their 2021 cap space of $89 million. But what? what's the gasp? I saw how far under the cap, or so, saw how far over the cap the Saints are for next year. Yeah, $81 million <sighs> in the hole. If you to put the Saints negative number and made it a positive, they would have the fourth most cap space in all of football. Just to put it in perspective, how fucked they are. If you took the entirety of this Los Angeles Chargers cap for next year away from the New Orleans Saints, they'd still be $20 million over the cap. The Saints are more over the cap than the Chiefs, the Rams, the Steelers, the Eagles, and the Falcons combined. Oh, and those are all the second through fifth place teams on cap space. Yeah. Yeah, they are fucked. Like, you know, you see, you see the Raiders at negative four and a half. Like, whatever. That's like one player transferring some some level of his income. You know, same thing with the Vikings, eight million. Like, that's not a big deal. Even the, you know, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Rams, you know, 10 through 15 million. You could get that sorted out. 17, 23, 80, 24. Like, that, that's, uh, you can definitely do it. It's going to be more finagling. Like, it'll, it'll be a lot more awkward cap space saving moves than the others but like it's where the fuck do you come up with 81 billion dollars the, the, the nfl is seriously like unless they are going to force all these teams you know the saints the falcons the eagles the steelers the rams the chiefs whoever to seriously tear apart their franchises which i don't think they would want them to do they're gonna have to sign something that alleviates the cap space from decreasing like $20 million next year. So the cap is basically based off of league revenue the previous year because no one is going to stadiums this year. They're not making nearly as much money as they usually do, uh, which you know is going to inherently force the cap to decrease. But that throws such a wrench into the long-term plans for like 20 of the 32 teams that I don't think the NFL will allow that to happen just because of how badly it would fuck over the teams that do, in fact, make them all their money. I think the NFL should do a carousel of quarterbacks and make every quarterback quarterback for every team in their conference. 
in their division. That would Twice. actually work great for the Steelers. I would like that. I remember that Baker Mayfield is in our conference, so I don't love it, but I like it because we get Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow. I don't know how the Jets would feel about it because, yes, Cam Newton, yes, Josh Allen, that could work. You'd get Ryan Fitzpatrick, which honestly might be an improvement just because you know what he can do and he knows what he can do. No, I refuse to stand by the idea that, that would be an improvement because I, 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 as much as I will concede Sam Darnold's mediocre play, I will maintain that his mediocre play is being forced into a terrible coaching system brought on oh, by Satan, everyone, whole liquor himself, Adam Gase. So everyone on the planet agrees with you on that. No, no, I'm just saying. Adam Gase everyone, is the problem, except for those I, two Johnson brothers. Uh, I know. Can't they stop using the N-word long enough to, like, change ownership? It worked in the NBA. Why can't it work here? Make them sell the team. Let Gary B. buy the team. I know you're listening to this. And get all the NFL owners together and, and offer them to let Gary V. borrow $1 billion to buy the... Two billion, four billion dollars to buy the Jets. Josh, yeah. Would you come yeah. your pants if you saw a tweet tomorrow that said Gary V is approved to purchase the New York Jets? Um, I would, I would, I would fist pump and go yes, and that's that's probably the most I would do. Boo, you're not a real fan. Boo. Yeah. That's all I got. I uh, yeah, yeah. Nah. Um, um I think now it'd actually be a fairly decent time to transition to something I did want to talk about. Let it rip, buddy. Involving Sam Darnold. Let it rip, buddy. Uh so I sent you these tweets earlier between two, you know, NFL Twitter guys. One for the Jets, one for the Steelers. Um, Connor, Connor, what's his last name? Holy shit. Connor Rogers? Connor Rogers, thank you. Uh, Connor Rogers and John Lanyard basically saying, and well, I mean, I guess we'll get your opinion on this after, but the New York Jets should trade Sam Darnold and the Pittsburgh Steelers would be the perfect fit for that. So before we go into... Our thoughts on this, nah, fuck it. Let's go into our thoughts on this. What are your thoughts, Josh? All right, this is a bad idea, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why. And it's not because I have a lot of faith in Sam Darnold and think he's the future of the franchise. Any of that shit. It's a bad idea, not because of the players involved, but because for the for the Jets strictly, it's a great great trade for the for the Steelers. It makes all the sense in the world, um, no matter what the cost is. I, I say that without knowing any of what the Steelers have to give up. Um, the problem for the Jets is you can't put what's happening right now on player personnel. Getting Sam Darnold out there, you know, like off the team to tank for who's 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 the the big quarterback this this upcoming Trevor year? Lawrence. There's Tre- there's the big what? three this year: Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, and Justin Fields from Ohio State. Cool. Tanking for any of the three of them is going to put you three years from now. Exactly where we were 
three years ago, unless something gives with the either ownership or coaching staff. Because Sam Darnold's progress, as bad as it is, as we just said, is not a result of him per se. It's a result of the organization that is housing him. And if the Jets want to keep dumping players because they don't fit the coaching staff, instead of hiring a coaching staff that will work with the players like every competent NFL franchise does these days, they're never going to be successful. It's so it's moot. If you gave me the choice of either the first overall pick and Adam Gase or Sam Darnold locked into a 10-year contract where we don't know anything about how he's going to progress or an Eric Bieniemy or again, I don't really care, pick like literally almost any NFL coach. I would take the 10-year contract for Sam Darnold because none of it matters unless that changes. And it's easy to say, oh, yeah, well, Adam Gates isn't going to survive the year anyway. Look how bad the Jets are doing just through two games. We were 1-7 in seven last year. We were 1-7, in seven, and ownership was like, this is acceptable. And after two terrible losses this year, ownership is going, we are fine with what is happening. So it doesn't matter. As much as we want to pin this on, on you know, the players we see actually doing the things as Jets fans, it doesn't fucking matter what they do as long as these two chuckle fucks are running the team like a goddamn money printing factory and letting some asshole clown run the goddamn show because it doesn't affect their bottom line at all. If the Jets can be profitable in the bad years that we've seen, they're never going to not be profitable. And who runs the team doesn't fucking matter to the to to the Johnson brothers. So yeah, I think it's, it's be super. So it's a super cool thought experiment. Hold on, just let me. I'm wrapping up. It's a really cool thought experiment, and I appreciate it. And in a world where I know Adam Gates is going to get fired, and and I and in a world where I can appreciate that there is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold waiting in the wings in the draft, and he would get to play with a better coach. Yeah, cool. Let's do it. I have no faith any of that would happen. I do think it's a good idea, but just to to put my thought in there, the fact that it's still profitable even when your team is bad is a really fucking stupid way to look at it because it's so unbelievably short-sighted. And we all know that. We see the value of teams and the way they increase. We've talked about it with the uh, Golden State Warriors. We've talked We've about talked it about with so many Panthers. Times. We've talked yeah. about it with whoever. Good teams make a lot more money, not just a little. It's exponential growth. Literally a comical more, comical amount more, as we saw with with the Warriors. That's why I hate saying that point because it's fucking dumb, but it's it's how these people look at it, which is infuriating. So I think this would be a fantastic trade for the Steelers because I do think Sam Darnold has shown that he can do something I would be nervous because I'm worried that the Adam Gase just wouldn't wash off enough. Um, but that being said, I think the chances of the Steelers being able to be in a situation to get a potential franchise quarterback at 
you know, not a top 10 pick cost is wildly, you know, improbable. Um, and the reason I think this is a good option for the Jets is because I don't think there's any way that the Jets go into next season with Adam Gase as a head coach. Uh, they hired Joe Douglas last year. It was one year of Adam Gase so far, and the Johnsons weren't willing to base it off of a single season. That was a dumb mistake then, but I do think it would be impossible for them to make that mistake again. Joe Douglas basically signed all of the players this offseason that he truly wanted to sign to contracts that would be long enough to allow them to stay on with a secondary coach after this year. All of the players that were of actual impact that they signed this year were more than one-year deals. The players that Adam Gase went out of his way to sign were on one-year deals. And I think that is Joe Douglas saying, if you want them and they think they will make your offense work, sure, you can have them. But when you're gone, they're gone. And I respect the hell out of that. That's not, that's not investing too much in something that you are not convinced is going to work. It's a short-term investment. Right. And whenever this inevitable new coach comes in this offseason, which hopefully is week three of this year, he is going to want to start his career and you know start his tenure with the Jets with his own guy, a guy that will inevitably fit his system, even if his system is something that you can, you know, mold around the players on the current roster. At the end of the day, the Jets current roster isn't saying much as much as you would want to bring in a guy that can work with what you got so that you can turn this around sooner rather than later. When you have a team like the jets and Josh, I know, you know, I am not trying to be mean when I say this. Oh, bash the it's hell not, up. it's not good. There's not a whole lot there to be looking forward to long-term. You know, you have Mackie Becton at left tackle. You got, you know, Connor McGovern at center. That's really the only two offensive linemen you would have long term. And Connor McGovern, McGovern, excuse me, was the only player on the offensive line to sign to a long term deal. You have Chris Herndon at tight end, who I think is going to be an exceptional player. He still has some time left. You have Jamison Crowder, which I think is an underrated wide receiver. You could keep him. Sam Darnold. At the end of the day, he's good. But if a guy wants to bring in someone who could fit his own system, who can be a superstar in a way that the ceiling isn't there for Darnold anymore, and you have a chance to get Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, or Trey Lance, you take those guys. You get a second-round pick for Sam Darnold. You get a couple picks. You're able to rebuild around you know the good players you have. You know, I'll bite that being, you know, albeit being a few number of guys, it puts you in a better position value wise than sticking with Sam Darnold another two, three years, seeing if he's able to pull it off. When you're in a situation and you have the opportunity to take a 
franchise-changing quarterback like the Jets did with Sam Darnold, you take it. And, you know, the ceiling is just not there for Darnold anymore the way it would be with a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance. So I think that's why you take the value while it's still there rather than pulling a, a Blake Bortles and... You know, you see, you see the upside, but it's just not consistent enough, and it ends up being you stick with them for so long, you miss your window to to get a new player. So, yeah, I I uh, first off wholeheartedly agree with damn near everything. I'll, I'll I'll take issue with the whole with 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 the one part that Sam Darnold's ceiling is no longer there. I think again with coaching being what it is, it's impossible to tell. But at the same time, that doesn't mean the Jets should act like it's there. And I think that's the big part with teams is that they oftentimes don't want to concede that there is a comparative advantage elsewhere. And while the Jets might have a lot of faith in Sam Darnold because they drafted him or whatever, doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. If there is an improvement to be made with a guy like Trevor Lawrence, again, who I'm using the name of as a placeholder, there are other people. Um, and another big part of it, big but small relative to some of the other points, um, that hasn't gotten brought in up yet is that Sam Darnold was a draft pick of the Jets last GM, not the current GM. And that I'm sure is going to end up playing into whether or not Joe Douglas ends up extending him because Joe Douglas, or really just keeping him beyond the season, because I'm sure based on the way Joe Douglas has been behaving in terms of his signings, he was going to want to have a guy that's his guy. And I do not blame him. As of right now, Joe Douglas is looking at a team being coached by a guy he did not hire and being quarterbacked by a guy he did not draft. Like, that's a lot. And it'd be one thing if the guy he did not draft was Cam Newton or or Deshaun Watson, you know, or Patrick Mahomes. It's not. It's a guy that you think might be good, but you don't know in a season where you are not winning anything. And I hate to say that after two games because it feels very reactionist, but I mean, this isn't close. Like this, not it's not even close. And I'd rather the Jets be able to trade Sam Darnold for a haul of mid-round picks for depth guys, go out and use some of their wild cap space on actual front-end wide receivers and a couple more um, offensive linemen. Because as we have said in previous episodes, you can never have have enough. Um, and and try to move forward from there using some of the better signs they've made and using some of the lessons they learned from poor coaching staffs previously. And and move on. Again, it just so comes down to how big of a dick does ownership want to wave in everyone's face, which ownership of the Jets has shown that to be both big and annoying. Um, but who the fuck knows? I mean, if if you guaranteed me that Adam Gase was getting fired by the end of the season and Joe Douglas was getting to pick who hired the new guy, not not ownership, because that's a big thing ownership likes to do too. I don't get it. I don't, again, this is our Rangers versus Knicks conversation we have a lot. The Rangers don't get fucked with by James Dolan at all. Very good franchise. The Knicks get fucked with James Dolan all the time. How are they doing? It's really bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Leave your fucking teams alone. God damn it. Yankees, Hal Steinbrenner never gets involved. They're a good team. The Mets, the Will Puns got involved all the fucking time. Terrible team. Like, Oh, anyway. Um, so if you could guarantee me that Gase wasn't going to be there and Joe Douglas would pick who the new coach would be, I'd be on board because of the comparative value exchange. But which by God. all means all signs point towards that. You know, 
Joe Douglas was hired as GM last year. He was signed to a long-term deal. I don't actually know that, but I don't know why any GM would be hired on a short-term deal. Um, Adam Gase is so unequivocal. Jesus, I just, I need to give up with any words longer than two syllables. Is just objectively the worst coach in the NFL. I've ever seen. I, I, I agree with you. I could not, like, we gave Marvin Lewis shit, and we gave that other guy who was coaching the Browns shit. But I like I don't know if I've ever seen someone who has been so highly touted for doing one thing while also being just truly just a bar below anyone else at that specific thing. It's insane. Like his offense is disgusting. They they took the player that had the career all time record for most scrimmage yards yards average per game with Le'Veon Bell and has truly destroyed his career and any chance of him making the Hall of Fame. I how truly, do you do, how do you take that quality of player and tank them that that poorly? Uh, I, I know. I, just, I I know. I I. And everyone wants to say, oh, Le'Veon Bell is a shell of the guy he used to be. Who else has had that precipitous of a drop-off in the NFL, yeah. and even at running back? Dude, oh. oh. It's and, not injury. He never no. got hurt in that, you know, in a way that would affect him the way this has happened. Oh, he missed a season. So what? Adrian Peterson missed a season after he tore his ACL. That's a missed time and an injury. And guess what? He rushed for 2,000 yards the following season. Like, yeah. uh, fucking God damn it. Like, if Jeff Fisher was the coach of this team, I seriously think we could be poised at looking at maybe, maybe not, a, you know, a 10 and 6 schedule, but somewhere between 7 and 9 and 9 and 7, the Jeff Fisher special. And I think, I think I'd be lo- really looking forward to that instead of what is going to end up being a 4 and 12 season at best by the what we're looking at on the field right now. And, ugh. At least Jeff Fisher was a player's coach. Yeah, to think Jeff Fisher was nice. Yeah. From every piece of video I've ever seen on Jeff Fisher, he genuinely liked working with the players, and his players genuinely liked him as a guy, even if they weren't thrilled with his coaching. And I cannot say that about Adam Gase. Yeah. I used to joke as much as anyone about how, you know, bad Jeff Fisher was. Oh, Mr. Oh, eight, eight, Mr. Seven and Nine. And then he was on Hard Knocks and you actually got to see who Jeff Fisher was. And it's like, this guy's arguably one of my favorite coaches in the NFL right now. He's such a good person. Yeah. He, he seems person. like the sweetest fucking dude on the planet. I can't believe it. Like, I don't care if we're getting distracted. I will take any opportunity I can find to talk up Jeff Fisher. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would straight up, entire, 100% seriously, if you told me in the morning, tomorrow morning, if I woke up and saw that Adam Gase got fired and Jeff Fisher was the replacement, I'd be through the fucking roof. Yeah. Like, at this point in time, oh my God. To have someone I could genuinely root for as being a good dude and who would also somehow be a better coach than, than Adam Gase, I mean, my God. I oh. just... Oh, the idea of you guys hiring like Eric Bieniemy of the Chiefs and drafting Trevor Lawrence. So like the Draft Network is who I follow. CBS has all three of the, or sorry, two of their three guys. They all say the Jets are going to get the first overall pick. 
The third CBS guy says they're going to get second. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence. They're going to get either Trey Lance or Justin Fields. They're getting one of the three at this point. Matching him with a arguably one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL, the guy who has, you know, been the offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes his entire career. Yeah, give me that matchup. That's a hell of a duo right there. And that you turn franchises around. The Jets should have a second first round pick in there from I think the Seahawks. If the Jets could somehow trade into the top ten after taking a quarterback and taking a fucking defensive end, uh, we're looking at a team now. And you know what? We'll ruin it all. Adam Gase. Adam Gase. <laughs> or the Johnsons. Don't let them don't let those sneaky fucks get away from anything. No fucking big pharma dicks. Oof. Well, we left uh, like no time to talk about all the injuries. A lot of people are injured. Yeah, um I guess we'll just touch on it because it was uh, it was and will maintain to be a big part of the NFL um storylines going forward because so many players got hurt week 1. Um I will say before I, I turn it over to you to talk about some of these players, I I wasn't expecting it, but I feel like I should have been expecting it based on what we saw from pitcher injuries coming into this season with a reduced spring training, um, the most physically demanding position, which I will call pitching because of what you have to put your body through to throw 95 miles an hour, um, saw a lot of injuries. There was a huge spike in injuries for, for pitchers coming into the MLB season. And I really should have feel like I, we should have ta- seen this coming with the NFL because there was no preseason and there was really just uh, reduced contact training in general because of COVID concerns. We we really shouldn't be surprised by this um, based on what we saw with baseball. And yet here we are with a lot of injuries. So what do you think is going to be the most impactful of them all? Uh. Uh, can we start with Tyrod Taylor? Oh my God, yes. Because that is just like, yes, every single one of these players getting hurt is a goddamn travesty. And you hate to see it because of how every single one of us saw that this was coming because there was no preseason, there was no ramp up to the season. But oh my God, the way that went down. So, For those of you who don't know, Tyrod Taylor was the starter that week in practice leading up to their week two game against the Los Angeles Chargers. Yes. Did I say say San Diego? No, no, no. You didn't say anything. I was just giving some content. Um, And then the night before the game, he was, you know, suspiciously said, you know, he was pulled from the active lineup, Justin Herbert's going to get the start. Everyone was shocked. Uh, didn't know what happened. And uh, people were saying, Oh, there was, you know, a rib injury. You know, he, he couldn't play. He wasn't a hundred percent, yada, yada, yada. And it just came out today that the reason he was held out of the game is because a team doctor accidentally punctured the lung while attempting to give him a pain-killing injection into the quarterback's cracked ribs. 
which is goddamn insane. Like, that's just insane. I don't know how else to put it. Oh, it, I don't know. I don't know how else you would put it. It's fucking nuts. It's nuts that something like that would happen with what it must be, you know, some of the most high end doctors money can buy because it's the NFL. And it's nuts because there's nothing to Rod. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's also nuts because there's nothing to Rod Taylor can do because part of the CBA, you're not allowed. If you accept uh, team medical professionals um, to, if you let them do anything to you, you're not allowed to sue them for malpractice or anything. Yeah. Um, it's, it is in the CBA that Tyrod that Ty Taylor is not allowed to seek retribution for a punctured lung. Uh, which I there really has to be some language oh, where, like, I doubt if it. it is deemed malpractice, that that is something that can be sought after or I that would it. not be covered. But it's the NFL, so I wouldn't be surprised. Their CBA negotiations I, are basically a hostage situation. Yeah, the players don't exercise the authority that they have because the owners convince them that they don't have it. Um, but I, I really, really, really hope that there's no long-term consequences for a punctured lung. It's a needle, so I'm assuming the puncture is pretty small. I think they already the Chargers already said Terod's likely to start next week um, or be renamed the starter for next week, which is a good sign. I just, oh my god, it, it, I've. I've never heard anything like that. And of course it has to come out of the chargers. Yeah. I just, that's fucking insane. No matter how you put it. Um, you know, I, obviously we all wish him the best. Um, seems like a great dude. I don't necessarily see this as being something where, you know, I'm not going to point fingers and yell malpractice because, you know, you're injecting something into the rib cage, which, in case you aren't aware, surrounds the lungs. I could see how it would be easy for this to occur, or at least not necessarily easy, but you know, not necessarily difficult either. Um, it's just such a wild situation all around. That whew. thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Uh, all right. So to keep this short, I'm going to list you the name, position, and team of some of our most uh, high, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? High-end players that got injured this week, and I want you to give me a 1 to 10. Um, and you can talk a little bit about them if you like, but a 1 to 10 in terms of how big of a deal it is that the team is missing that player, 10 being tragic. Uh, you ready? Yep. All right, cool. Uh, Nick Bosa, defensive end, San Francisco 49ers, 1 to 10? Nine. Uh, I mean, he's their, you know, best defensive player. I don't think that's up for argument right now. Nope. I do think that their defense and their defensive line specifically is skilled enough to handle that singular loss. But losing the amount of players that they did on both sides of the ball altogether is uh, 12. That team is in crisis mode right now. I mean, yeah, there we we could do an entire episode just on the Niners team. Uh, for reference, I'll do the injuries as well. Nick Bosa torn ACL; he's out for the season. Um, anyway, uh, next up, Saquon Barkley, running back, New York Giants, also torn ACL, also out for the season. Uh, I would give it a ten if it wasn't the fact that they were the Giants and they were not a contending team this year. 
Um, their offense is going to be horrific to watch next week because Deion Lewis and Wayne Gallman don't inspire hope. And without Saquon Barkley back there, they're really going to be able to key in on Daniel Jones, and that would worry the hell out of me. Uh, so that's pretty huge. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say this is this is biggest if for, in, in a cold blooded sense, it's obviously the biggest deal to Saquon Barkley, but it's uh, the biggest deal to Daniel Jones's development and a team that's likely not going to win anything. But uh, man, it's also shit if you're a Giants fan with so little to root for anyway. Um, oh yes. This is coming from a Jets fan where we have less. Uh, Christian McCaffrey running back from the, for the Carolina Panthers. High ankle sprain. Uncertain how long he'll be out at this time. But, you know, you got to assume it's at least going to be uh, a few weeks, which in NFL time is pretty fucking long. So, so uh, for this kind of injury, the timetable is usually four to six weeks. So for Christian McCaffrey, that means three weeks and he rushes back uh, and isn't quite the same. Yeah, then he hurts himself again. The Panthers aren't set to make the playoffs, and then he goes on the IR again for the last two or three weeks of the season. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, the Panthers are definitely not set to make the playoffs. Um, but it is, you know, their first year with that quarterback, their first year with their offensive coordinator. Christian McCaffrey is the lifeblood of that team. He is the focal point of that team, more so than Saquon Barkley is with the Giants. Uh, so I'll give that one a 10. Even if not... I can't because it's not season long. I'll give it a nine, but that is still the assumption that he is definitely rushing back from injury, and it's going to be something that that nags and just hangs on and carries with him throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, it's going to be a talking point all year, no matter what. Every time he touches the ball, even if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Locke, quarterback for the Denver Broncos, has suffered a sprained AC joint. Um, it says he's going to miss two to six weeks, which is a huge window in in my eyes. Um, yep. And it being something he's probably going to you know be using a lot of, um, it's going to lead to a lot of variation. Anyway, Corbin, um, one to ten, where do you stand on the Drew Lock situation? Uh, I think this is an eight, uh, just because this is again the Broncos, like the Forty ers are in a situation where. Jesus Christ, like their injuries are just not something you can overcome. You know, uh, Von Miller a couple weeks ago. Now you've got Cortland Sutton, Drew Locke. You've got so many different players that are all hurt. Um, and, you know, Drew Locke is a young quarterback going into his first full season. He has a ton of new young weapons for him to work with. You really need that to build that team chemistry. Even if you weren't trying to compete this year, you really wanted to build that up. Um, I don't know if I gave it a number, but if I did, I'm going to change it to a seven. Because again, you said I, eight, so seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to downgrade that uh, just because he will be back at some point. Um, that being said, AC joint. You know, I don't know if it's his throwing shoulder or not. I don't know if it it says that. Um, if it is, I that is it. definitely a concern because that will stick with him for the rest of the year, regardless of when he comes back. Um, and, you know, that could have some development issues added in. Yeah, I, I, I do think this is only somewhere between a five and a seven for me personally, only because there was no chance they were going to win that division. Um, so I don't think there's any need to rush him back because you're not overcoming the Chiefs and the Broncos are a bizarro team who have, and we're about to talk about them again. Um, so in terms of 
the cold-blooded is just going to affect the Broncos' immediate season? I don't think so. They're playing for a wild-card spot anyway. Um, so it depends on how you view their ability to make that um, be one of the two teams to make the wild card, but it's tough. It's it's just tough to say with how he's going to come back and how the team's going to overcome everything, which brings us to Cortland Sutton, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, torn ACL. He's out for the year. Uh, I can't give this the seven. I mean, we, we discussed it just now. Um, I think because you have KJ Hamler and you have Jerry Judy there, individually that loss isn't as impactful as Drew Locke but he is supposed to be that leader amongst your wide receivers. He is the quote-unquote vet there. Uh, You want him on the field, especially with your young franchise quarterback, but six. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback, San Francisco 49ers, high ankle sprain. It's pretty muddy in terms of what I've seen for when he's going to be coming back. Um, He was able to play for the first half against the Jets, set up for the second half because they had the game in the bag. Um, I've heard on Twitter that he might very well make a special appearance tomorrow or not tomorrow this, this week. I've heard they might take a couple weeks just to be safe. Tough to say. Anyway, Corwin, um, give me a number. Five, maybe, maybe a four. Yeah. I'll be honest. I know I've talked highly of Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo in the past, but you know, at this point, this the way he's been playing, uh, I don't think Nick Mullins is that much of a of a drop off. Yeah, they've they've pretty they've limited his his role significantly and successfully. So I, I don't think it's a big mm-hmm. deal. Um Devontae Adams, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, hamstring injury. Um again, it's a very muddy timeline for when he'd be back again it's like a maybe he actually does play but it's pretty low probability for this week so i'm going to give it my own time frame of two to four weeks i appreciate that dr josh um if he misses time that's at least a seven because he is their wide receiver core that's it i mean i know aaron jones showed off last week but I mean, if you look at target share percentage and receptions percentage, my God, is it the Devontae Adams and else? Um, and it's not even close between those two categories. So uh, that's going to be tough. You know, Aaron Rodgers playing vintage Aaron Ro- is playing like a vintage Aaron Rodgers, but even so, uh, that'll be tough to overcome. Right. He's been leaning on him a lot. Uh, we're wrapping up. Don't worry. Tavon Young, cornerback, Baltimore Ravens. All that's listed here is a knee injury, but uh, Harbaugh apparently is suggesting that it might be something very severe and possibly season and en- season ending. So I say we just lean on the side of that. Um, so Corwin, one to ten. I missed the player that you said. Tavon Young. Ooh. Eh, I don't think that'll be a huge deal. I think the Ravens have. Um, quite a lot of depth uh, all over that team, cornerback especially. Um, I mean, I'm going to try and pull up their depth chart just to make sure, but I really don't think this is going to be something that's detrimental to their team. All right. Uh, Malik Hooker, safety, Indianapolis Colts. He has an Achilles tendon issue. Um, 
Oh, it's torn. Oh, so he's not going to play this season. Oh, yeah. Ta- just to butt in, Tavon Young is like their number four cornerback. So this that's like a two. Okay, cool. Malik Hooker? I really like Malik Hooker. Uh, granted, he is not exactly the the player he was coming out of college. The prospect he was hasn't quite lived up to that. I still think he's a good free safety. Uh, I'll say a five at this point. Uh, Raheem Mostert, running back, San Francisco 49ers, sprained MCL. So he's going to be um, out. Again, it, it, it's unclear, but I'll give it the same like two to four weeks. Again, I that. missed the player you said. Raheem Mostert. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is big because he does look so far and away to be the best running back amongst that group. Um, that being said, Jarek McKinnon is surprisingly healthy for right now. So I don't think the drop off between the two will be crazy. Uh, that being said, it is in fact, Kyle Shanahan at the helm of that running game. So have no fear. Superman is here. Um, I still will put it at a five because Jarek McKinnon is made of glass. Tevin Coleman is out for a good chunk of time. So it could be, could become something bigger. But as of now, I think Jarek McKinnon is a fine replacement short term. All right. Um, so that's a handful of names. Uh, the list I'm looking at is like 21 deep. It was a big injury week, which is just awful to see. Um, and I, I just, we don't have the time to go through all of these. Uh, we're already, um, an hour and 20 into this and I haven't even ate dinner yet. So I got to get going. Um, but was there any, any other big ones that you wanted to bring up before we left? Uh, I honestly can't think of them. There was so many. I know like it, it truly is like the worst I've ever seen when it comes to just the absolute depth and just, the big name players that got hurt. Uh, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely insane. Never seen anything um, like it. Like just scrolling through uh, the, um, the, what am I looking at? Uh, the injury reports on ESPN. It's, it's fucking wild. Um, just how many players got hurt. Like Paris Campbell, uh, not exactly the biggest name, but it was, looking to be a huge impact player for the Colts this year. He's out for the season. Byron Jones, the huge big money contract signs uh, to Miami this year. He's out for a good while. Um, That's going to be pretty big for Miami. There's just so many players. Yeah, it's it's a laundry list. We we could seriously have spent another hour doing this, but I cannot literally stomach doing it for that long. I am with you. All right, then we'll wrap it up here. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.